Rachel told me one time, she said, Donald, you look so good, you remind me of a speeding ticket. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, you got fine road all up and down you. She's not in here, is she? But, you know. but I, can't, I told her, I said, well, I can't blame you. She got good taste. But uh, no, it's good to see everybody here this morning, wonderful looking crowd. And uh, didn't our worship team just do an awesome job? Let's give them a big hand this morning. You know, they, they do an incredible job of creating an atmosphere where the presence of God just comes. And as a church, we want to come to that place where we learn how to host the presence of God. Where, where we, we learn to, to just not just uh, sing songs and, 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 and do what we would call traditional worship, but, but where we not just invite God, and he, he, there's an invitation, but there's a habitation of God where He comes and He stays. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when He came upon Jesus, that He came upon Jesus and He remained. You know, I want to be one of those kinds of people that wherever I go, the Holy Spirit remains. That, uh, you know, that I live my life in such a way that, that there's a tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, because the truth is the only person that makes it difference in the lives of people is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He's, he's not an it, a thing, an emotion. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. And, and he comes to live within us and to breathe life in us and through us. And so um, we love him. So if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask you to... Uh, uh, Keep me in your prayers. I start the, the long traveling over the next few weeks. Uh, next weekend, I'll be going out to western Kentucky. And then the week after that, I'll be going to Xenia, Ohio. And then <clears throat> after that, I'll be going to uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And, and when I ask you to pray, I mean that. You know, I'm not just saying, you know, pray for me just to fill up some space and time. But, but I, do, I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. This is a new uh, journey in my life. And uh, I'm at a place where I'm totally dependent upon God, and, and for some reason, He loves for us to be dependent on Him. You know, we can get comfortable, and uh, we can enjoy the, the, the comforts of learning how to, to do certain things. And probably one of the most dangerous uh, traps in the Christian life is learning how to do this thing called church. You know, how many knows that we can learn how to do this? You know, the truth is we can, we can sing songs and we can have church and we can have a good time whether God shows up or not. Amen? And the truth is I found out that a lot of people know, don't know the difference between the anointing and noise. There's a big difference. But we live in such a culture of entertainment that, 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 that that's what we uh, uh, prefer. We, we prefer uh, 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 an atmosphere where, where, where we have a feel-good thing. But listen, not, not everything is about how we feel. I thank God that we have a God that we can feel. But we have to give people more than a God that they can feel. We have to give them a Lord that they can follow. And so, 2 Kings chapter number 18, I want to talk to you this morning about Hezekiah's heartbreak. Hezekiah's heartbreak. First Kings, or I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 1, it says, now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Eliah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to to all that his father David had done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of just being in your presence, to gather together as a church family, to feel the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to, to know that things are right between us and you, and to worship you and become more like you. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these uh, moments we have together this morning and make them fruitful and beneficial that we leave here today and say, surely we have heard the Lord speak to us. Now, Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing to speak your word, a fresh unction of the Holy Spirit, an anointing that destroys the yokes and lifts the burdens, 
Apart from you, I can do nothing. And today I confess my dependency and need for you. And we ask you to help us this morning. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Hezekiah's heartbreak. I want to begin by just giving you a little bit of the history and background of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, according to the scripture, became king when he was 25 years old. He was the 13th king in the line of succession of the dynasty of David. And right from the beginning, it's important for us to understand that according to scripture, Hezekiah was a good man and he was a godly king. I want you to remind yourself of that or take a mental note of that. Because according to Scripture, in 2 Kings chapter number 18 and verse 3, it says, And Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, some of the good things that happened under his reign was he led the nation of Judah into a spiritual revival. There was a national revival that took place. Uh, God blessed the people of Judah. He, he ministered to them. He prospered them. Not only that, but the Bible says that God gave them victory over all of the enemies that had surrounded them. In other words, it was a good time to be God's people under the leadership of King Hezekiah. And yet, if you study his life, you'll find out that he makes a tragic mistake that causes catastrophic damage in the lives of the people of Judah that it would affect generations and generations and generations of people. As a matter of fact, Judah would never recover because of this mistake that he made. Now, most people have a little bit of understanding about Hezekiah. And most people, what they know is they, they know the story that the prophet Isaiah comes to him and tells him that he's going to die. And then he goes and he prays and, and he says, you know, Isaiah says, put your house in order. He's surely going to die. Hezekiah, he cries out to God. God hears his prayer. He answers him and he adds 15 years to his life. But at 25 years old, this man became king. Again, he was a good man. And he was a godly king. But something happened to him. He received terrible news when he was 39 years old. And we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1. And it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order. You shall surely die and not live. Now, the tragedy of, of this particular story and the tragedy of, Nea, uh, of Hezekiah's uh, situation is that he misunderstood something that was extremely important. And that is, there is more than just one way to die. There's more than just one way to die. And this is the heart, uh, the heartbreak of this good man. And so I want to give you four things this morning uh, four areas in the life of Hezekiah where he failed terribly. Listen, you never become too wise or too old to fail God. Let me say that again. You never become too wise or too old to fail God. And this man, this good king, this godly king, this, this godly man, he failed in four areas of his life and it destroyed. It had generational consequences for those that would follow after him and after his reign. Now, the first thing I want to point out is this, is years without purpose. Years without purpose. We know that God added 15 years to his life. But the tragedy is that those 15 years that were added to Hezekiah, they were years without purpose. Time is a gift from God. God gives us time and that time is a gift. But the Bible teaches us that we are to use our time wisely, right? Psalms chapter 90 verse 12 says that we are to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says that we are to redeem the time for the days are evil. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 says, Therefore knowing the time that now it is high time for us to wake up out of our sleep, 
for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. So time is a, a precious commodity. There's a certain amount of time that God has given us. He's given us an assignment. He said for everything under heaven there is a season and a time for things to work out, a time to be born, a time to die, a time for peace, a time for war. So there's times and there's seasons and there's moments in our life that we do not have the prerogative to waste. The point of all of this is don't waste your life. God added 15 years to Hezekiah's life, but they were years without focus or without purpose. And so after Hezekiah receives this terrible news from the prophet Isaiah, the Bible says that he goes, he prays to God, he cries out to God. God hears him. God answers him. He adds 15 years to Hezekiah's life, but these years become years without purpose. Now, 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 2 through 6 says this. Then he turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how that I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayers, I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life, and then it goes on to say some of the other promises that God had given him. Now, listen, God didn't do this miracle in Hezekiah's life just so that he could live longer. God didn't heal him, God didn't intervene in the situation, He didn't add 15 years of his life just for the sake of adding years to his life. God did what he did for a purpose, and the same is true for you and I. You know, every person has a purpose, and every member has a ministry. And the reason when we get saved that God doesn't take us on to heaven at that particular moment is because God has a purpose for you being here. It's important that you connect with that purpose. It's important that you become a person of purpose. It's important for you to know that God has a plan, He has an assignment, and then He has a time frame in which He wants that plan, that purpose, and that assignment uh, to be accomplished. And so Hezekiah has 15 years added to his life, but the problem is he looked at those years and he wasted those years on nothing but the things that were most interesting to him. In other words, this this man spent the next 15 years living his life totally and completely self-centered and he never connected to the purpose of why God added those years to his life. Now, regardless of how many years that you and I have left and remain on this earth, when we waste our years or the years of our life, it's always tragic it's always heartbreaking, and you'll always look back on those wasted years with regret. You see, the worst life a Christian can live is a life that is lived without knowing the purpose of God. And the worst death that a Christian can die is having died not fulfilling the purpose that God has for his life. And so it's important that we have a sense of purpose, that we're seeking God to reveal that purpose, that he is ordering our steps, that he's directing our paths, that, that he's establishing our thoughts, that every day that you wake up, God is saying, there's something that I have called you to do that you've not yet done. Because there's a point in time once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment. So there's going to be a time when our time is up. And so if you were to evaluate where you're at right now in your Christian walk, See, some of you, you're new converts. You just recently got saved, and you're just beginning your journey. Some of you, you are in the, in, in the halftime of, of your spiritual journey with God, and some of you are, are coming to the end of that journey. But if you were to evaluate your life, how, many, how much time have you used actually fulfilling God's purpose for your life, and how much time have you spent wasting the years that God has given you? 
Just take a moment. Think about that. Are you closer to God today than you were five years ago? You know, are, are, do you know the Word of God better than you did five years ago? See, we can't improve what we don't evaluate. And so we need to evaluate where we're at. Because there's going to be a day when time is up and then we'll go on and stand before the Lord. And we don't want to stand before the Lord having wasted the years that he's given us. Amen? But this is exactly what Hezekiah has done. God added years to his life, but Hezekiah did not add life to his years. There's a difference between having years added to your life and then life added to your years. And see, time is measured by minutes, but life is measured by moments. And the question is, what are you doing with this moment in time that God has given you individually? What are we doing in this moment in time that God has given us collectively as a church? Because there's a reason why we're together. There's a reason why that we are alive today. And it's not so that we can waste our time doing things that are centered around us. And I found out something. You know, I found out that the average person in the, in, in the church doesn't have anything greater to live for than themselves. As a matter of fact, it's one of the signs of the end times. The Bible says, in the last days perilous times shall come. And then it states this, and men shall be lovers of themselves. If there's one thing that we are in America, we, we love ourselves. You know, we, 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 we love God, we love Jesus, we love the church, we love ministry, we love serving. We just love it on our terms, right? We don't like to be inconvenienced. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. We don't like to be challenged. But what I've learned is if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And so it's important that we take a moment today. I believe God wants us to do this and evaluate how much time we have wasted up to this point because it's time for us to get serious about serving God. I mean, I doubt anybody would disagree with me when I make this statement that Jesus is coming back soon. I would say probably 100%. There may be one that would disagree with that. But you know what? It's not a matter of knowing whether Jesus is coming back soon or not. It's a matter of whether we're living like it's true. You know, Matthew Henry, he made the statement, he said, It ought to be the business of every man to live every day of his life as if it was his last day. He said, it ought to be our business to live every day that we have, which means today, as if today was our last day. And then he made this statement, Because five minutes on the other side of eternity, you will have known what you should have lived for. I mean, think about that. You know, I'm at a stage now, you know, you know what's going on here. There's, uh, you know, we're transitioning in our church. You know, Clay's going to uh, be installed as uh, lead pastor in, in April. And then I'm going to be moving into more of a missions-focused type ministry. And, you know, I'm, I'm becoming middle-aged, which is difficult my, my, my mind still thinks I can do things that my body says, you're a fool. But every day something awakens me to my own mortality. But then I started to think about, you know, in all the years that I've been serving God, which has been over 20 years, if I were to evaluate how much of what I've committed myself to will have eternal significance versus how much of what I've committed myself to that doesn't have any eternal significance, I wonder what would be left. I mean, the older you get, the more you think about, am I really giving myself to the things that matter? Because, listen, it's very easy to become religious and go through the motions and just become status quo and, and assume that, you know what, being busy is actually getting something done. But we have to establish our priorities. We have to ask ourselves, what's really 
matters in life. What's going to matter 20 years from now? The stuff that we worry about, let me do a little bit of pastoring right quick. The stuff that we're worrying about today, vast majority of it, will not even matter one year from now. And if it's not going to matter a year from now, why does it matter now? Listen, overthinking is a terrible way to use the time that God has given you. Overthinking, overreacting, living in fear, so on and so forth. But God's given us time. The question is, what are we doing with that time? Hezekiah had years without purpose. Here's the second thing. The second thing is, he had signs without direction. Now, here's what I mean by that. You know, the prophet Isaiah comes back and he prophesies to Hezekiah. And he says to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Now, instead of rejoicing and praising God, because, I mean, that's a good word. If a man's dying and, and, and the Lord says, I'm going to add 15 years to your life, you know what? That's a good word, right? I'm going to receive that. But Hezekiah, he, he didn't receive that. He didn't really believe it because he asked for a sign. How do I know whether this is word, the word of the Lord or not? How do I know that what you're saying to me is true? Well, he received the first word that the prophet said that he was going to die, and then he responded, right? He didn't ask for a sign then. He got desperate for God, and he cried out to God. God heard him. God answered. But now God brings him good news saying, you know what? I'm going to add 15 years to your life. So he's not glorifying God or praising God. He asked God for a sign. Now listen, here's something else I've learned. God doesn't mind our questions. You know, you hear people say all the time, don't we ever question God? Now I don't know where they got that from, but certainly not the Bible. Jesus asked a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions in the Bible. 3,194 to be exact. God doesn't mind our question, but he hates our doubt. And the reason we doubt so much is because we trust so little. And so, here's what Hezekiah says in 2 Kings 20, verses 8 and 9. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me? And that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. Then Isaiah said, this is the sign you will receive from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backwards 10 degrees? Now, now here's the warning, okay? When we ask God for a sign, we actually believe that we're putting God to the test. But in reality... We're putting ourselves to the test. You think, or we think when we ask God for a sign that we're putting God to the test, but in reality, it was God giving Hezekiah the test. Now, what was the test that God was giving him? The test was this. What direction are you going to go? Well, what, what does that mean? Well, if you read the verses 89, you'll find out God was saying to Hezekiah, are you going to move forward with me or are you going to move backwards? Are you going to move forward to your future or are you going to move backwards to what's familiar? Are you going to move forward in faith or are you going to move back through fear? In other words, are you going to move forward with God? Listen, I found out a lot of people are more interested in what God has done than they are in what God is doing. Listen, God's on the move. And if we're going to follow God, then we're going to have to be people that are on the move, following God where He's moving. And where is God moving? Not inside the building only. He's moving outside the four walls of this building. He's moving in the school systems. He's moving in the workplaces. He's moving in the streets. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Listen, Jesus doesn't sit with sitters. He goes with goers and he works with workers. He didn't call any of us to sitting ministry. Now, we're supposed to sit before the feet of the Lord in prayer and devotion. 
But when that time is up, we're to take action. We ought to be people of action. You know, some people, they get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. So the test is, what direction are you going to go, Hezekiah? Now notice his response here in verses 10 and 11. And Hezekiah answered, it's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No. But let the shadow go back 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards by which it had gone down on the sundial. Let me ask you a question. Which was the greater miracle? God moving it forward 10 degrees or God moving it backward 10 degrees? What, do you, what would you think? It's equal. It takes just as much of a miracle to move it backward 10 degrees as it is to move it forward 10 degrees. And what God was testing Hezekiah about was, which way are you going to move? Do you have faith for the future? Or are you going to allow the familiar to call you back to your past? The reason some of you have never moved on with God is because you're living your life in the past. Some people are able to take and turn a bad moment into a bad day. And then a bad day into a bad week, and a bad week into a bad month, and a bad month into a bad year. And believe that it is a gift from God. But the truth is this, no matter how good today is, and no matter how bad today is, at 12 o'clock at night, today will be yesterday. And don't bring your yesterday into your today. Because you can't live in the past. But because Hezekiah had years without purpose, he had signs with no direction, he says, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I was familiar with. And listen, if you allow the familiar to call you back, you'll never be able to move forward into your future. And so many Christians are living off of yesterday's revelation of God, yesterday's victory, yesterday's testimony, when God is the same yesterday, today, and so what direction are you moving? Are you intentionally growing? Are you moving forward? Are we as a church, are we, are we moving forward in the vision that God's called us to? We need to evaluate our mindset and see where we are. So do you want to move forward with God? Or do you want to return to the past? Here's the third thing. The third thing is victory without wisdom. Victory without wisdom. Now, God had promised Hezekiah that he was going to give him victory over all of his enemies. And we read that earlier. And so God is letting Hezekiah know that he doesn't have to live in fear of what might happen in the future. Why? Because God's in control. He's seen the end from the beginning. You know, he's pretty smart. He's on genius level. You know, he, he's a lot smarter than we are. But I say this often, you know what? It's amazing how much I've learned since I've known everything. Because when people would try to tell me what was right and tell me the truth, I'd be like, I know, I know. Well, it's what you know after you know everything that really matters. And so God was saying to Hezekiah, you don't have to be afraid of the future. Listen, I mean, I'm around a lot of people and so many people are so gloom and doom about the time that we're living in that they don't even open their mouth about Jesus. They're trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. They're trying to figure out what the third toe on the right foot of the beast is symbolic of. And then write a book about it and then, you know, uh, a revised version of that and then a trilogy. Armageddon. It's Armageddon. Trump is the Antichrist. 
It's all setting the stage on world events. I can promise you this much, you're never moving forward with God if you're devil-focused. Listen, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. And so we need to be looking. Listen, you know what? People that understand the difference between counterfeit currency and what's real and genuine. Listen, people that, that want to know uh, counterfeit uh, currency from real currency never study the counterfeit. They always study the real thing. Listen, they know where the third hair on George Washington's wig is on a dollar bill. Why? Because they want to know the real so much that it is easy to point out an imposter. And I'm saying if you get close enough to Jesus, it'll be very easy for you to know what is right and what is wrong, who is who and who is not. But signs without direction, victory without wisdom. And so Hezekiah, he hears a word from God. God promises him victory, and now God gives him the second test. Now, what's the second test? We read that in 2 Chronicles 32, 31. God withdrew from him, Hezekiah, in order that he might know all that was in his heart. Listen to me. The first test God gave Hezekiah was to test what was in his head. The second test God gave Hezekiah was to test what was in his heart. Because it's not enough to have head knowledge about God. You have to have heart knowledge of who He is. It's possible for you to know the book of the Lord and not know the Lord of the book. And it's very easy for us to become religious people. And listen, a religious spirit will glorify what God has done and will crucify what God is doing. I want you to think about that. You know, the, the Pharisee says, we've got the law in Moses, we've, or we've got the law in the prophets. But they crucify grace and truth. When you're around people that say, well, I wish it was like the good old days, they're living in the past. Listen, you know, God doesn't want it to be as good as it was in the, in the good old days. God wants it to be fresh and cutting edge and moving on a greater level of anointing and authority today than it was yesterday. So God says, you know what? You don't have to worry about the future, but I want to see if you trust me. And so God had prospered Hezekiah. He had healed Hezekiah. He had 15 years of Hezekiah's life. And he gave him victory over his enemies. Now, how did he respond? 2 Kings 20, 13 says this. He responds by becoming arrogant, proud, and independent. There's no mention, there's no mention of him giving glory to God because there were some people from a foreign land that was coming to see how had all of this happened in the nation of Judah. How God had used this king to give them victory, to prosper them, to bless them. The miracle God did in Hezekiah's life. He's not giving them any kind of testimony of how good God has been what he does is he begins to brag about what has happened under his leadership. And listen, any step toward independence is a step away from God. Listen, you need God as much today as you did yesterday and when you began your journey. We need God today just as much as we did yesterday. So God gave him this word, he's going to give him victory. People come to see and evaluate what he's got. And you know what? He doesn't give God any glory whatsoever. And so God hears this. And then he sends another prophetic word. If they want to come to the music, we'll finish with it. You know, there's an old saying that says, there's no fool like an old fool. And just because we're getting older doesn't mean we're getting wiser. Just because we're getting older 
doesn't mean we're getting wiser. Now, here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is this. Hezekiah has sons without destiny. Now, this right here is probably one of the most heartbreaking stories that I've ever read in the Bible. And I think the reason it's so heartbreaking to me is because I see it even within our church. Definitely within the church of America, we have the same problem Hezekiah had. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Because Hezekiah had become independent, arrogant, and proud, God gives Isaiah another message. And we read it in 2 Kings 20, verses 16 through 18. Listen to what it says. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away, listen to this, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now listen what it says. That's not good news. You agree with that? That's not what I would want to hear. And that shouldn't be what you should want to hear. But notice how Hezekiah responds. God says, you know what? Time's coming when everything that I've blessed you with and everything I've gave you up to this point in your life is going to be completely taken away. Not only that, your own children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will be taken captive and exiled to a foreign land where they will live under oppression and bondage and they'll become slaves to the king of Babylon. <laughs> and here's Hezekiah's response. It's heartbreaking. 2 Kings 20 verse 19. So Hezekiah says to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Can you imagine? What was good about that word? What well, tells the response? Well, at least there'll be peace in my days. Who cares about the next generation? Who cares about my own children? Who cares about what kind of world we leave our children in when we go on? At least I won't have to deal with it. I'll be long gone and won't have to worry about it. man's heartless he's selfish he's self-centered he, he could care less about the next generation he could care less about his own children now we would never say that but the way we live our life tells us all we need to know about how much we have in common this man it, it's unbelievable a lot of people in church today have this mindset as long as things are good as long as I'm happy as long as things are going the way that I want them to go I could care less about the next generation God, help us to realize our responsibility to the next generation. Every one of you here, every single one of you here from the front to the back, you have responsibility 
have responsibility to teach your children, to teach your family, to be an example to this community, to live a godly and holy life, and to tell others about the God you serve. We have the gospel. I mean, what would you think of a doctor who has the cure to an uncurable disease but never gave it to anyone? Would you call that man a good doctor? I doubt. Who cares? At least it won't happen in my life. Hezekiah failed his family. Hezekiah failed God. Let me tell you something. I can't think of anything worse than those two. I mean, it's a privilege to raise my children in church, but I tell you what, it's terrifying at the same time. Why? Because God doesn't have grandchildren. And faith has always been and will always be personal. None of us are getting into heaven by holding on to somebody else's coattail. It's a dangerous thing for us to learn how to do this. But we're good at it. We've done it. Scripture goes on now to say that three years after God gave this word to Hezekiah, a baby was born, and this baby would become king after Hezekiah dies. And this baby's name was Manasseh, Second Kings 20, verse 21. So Hezekiah rested with his father, then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Listen, Manasseh was the worst, worst king in Israel's history. And he reigned longer than any other king in Israel's history. And so devastating and so catastrophic were the things that he done that Judah never recovered from the damage that was done by Manasseh, who was actually King Hezekiah's own flesh and blood. What's your point, Donald? This is, this is hard to say. But from hindsight, in hindsight's 2020, because Hezekiah had years without purpose, sign without direction, victory without wisdom, and sons without destiny, and he wasted 15 years of his life. You know what? Think about it. It would be better for Hezekiah to have died. I can't even believe that come out of my mouth. But it's the truth. And there's a Hezekiah mentality that has infiltrated the church that says, as long as things are good with me, who cares what happens in the future? It would be better for those churches to die. If we were one of those churches, it would be better for us to walk out of here today, lock the door, and never come back again. Think about that. Why? Because there's more than one way to die. And sometimes when we waste years, we leave things worse than they were when we got here. When we don't care about future generations, when we don't care about the next generation, when we don't intentionally live our lives trying to reach the next generation to bring about a change in the world, it would be better for us to die. Because <laughs> that's not a good thing. ask you this why would God want to give us any more years of life 
if we're going to continue to do what we've always done. Now, I know this is pretty hardcore. But sometimes we, we need to be challenged. And we need to, listen, it's my job as a pastor to challenge your and my selfishness. I don't have Mr. Rogers' anointing. I'll encourage you. But I'll also challenge you. But what have you done with the time that God's given you up to this point? And why should God give you more time in the future? It's time that we get serious. Amen? So those of you that are here that are lost, if you don't have 100% assurance that things are right between you and God, and you're here today and you know that, and that doesn't concern you. You're on dangerous ground. Why? Because 10 out of 10 people die. The mortality rate hovers right around 100%. And every day that we live, time is ticking. And we're getting closer to our expiration date. Do you know every person has an expiration date? But the question is not when that day comes the question is are you going to be prepared for it if I was here and I was, I was lost and I felt God speaking to me if I didn't have 100% assurance that things were right between me and God there's no way I'd walk out of those doors no way without making things right with God because tomorrow is promised to no man the Bible says now is the acceptable time today is the day of salvation you don't get saved anytime you want to and I'll tell you, procrastination is the most deadly sin in the world. Procrastination has sent more people to hell than rape, murder, suicide, crime, whatever you want to call it. Procrastination. Nobody makes plans to go to hell. They just don't prepare themselves to go to heaven. And the biggest lie you could ever believe that the devil would tell you is that you've got plenty of time. Well, how do you know? How do you know? I know everybody here is aware of what happened to Kobe Bryant. It's a very good lesson for us to learn. Listen, death is not prejudice. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, if you are black or white, if you are wealthy or poor, or no matter what, what your social status is. Listen, the day's coming. We'll all be there. It was shocking, but we shouldn't be shocked because one day it'll be us. But are you going to be ready? To those of you that are saved, let me ask you this. Jesus said we must work while it's day, for night's coming when no man can work. Are you working to reach the next generation? Or are we only thinking about ourselves? Are you living your life as if today was your last because tomorrow's not promised to any of us are we giving our all are we giving our best are we giving everything to him let me tell you something the reason I stepped down or I'm stepping down from pastor and stepping into this is because I've only got one life to live for Jesus and I will make it count I have no clue what the future holds I just know who holds the future I want to give my best, my all. So I don't stand before him with my head hung going. I could have done more. Stand with me. Isaiah 5.14 says this. Listen. Hell enlarges itself every day. 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 And you know what? Where the burden of hell is lost, 
or the reality of hell is lost, the burden for souls leaves. Where the reality of hell is lost, the burden for souls will leave. So, do you have a burden for souls? If we don't have a burden for souls, we're no different than Hezekiah. We're a good guy. We try to be godly, but we're selfish. Father, I've shared what I felt like you wanted me to share this morning. And I know that some of it at times is hard to receive. But you put these stories in the Bible to instruct us, to admonish us, to correct us, to encourage us, to motivate us, and to change us. I pray that everybody that's here under the sound of my voice, that the words that's been spoken, that they'll not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, but that that seed would be planted, cultivated, and bring forth fruit a hundredfold. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're not 100% sure that things are right between you and God, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. This didn't save you, and I'm not coming out there to, to get you. I just want to know that you're here, and God's dealing with you. On the count of three, if you don't know God or you need to make things right with God, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Amen. Amen. The rest of you, those of you that are saved, let's find us a place in the altar and say, God, I'm ready to get down to business with you. God, I've lost my burden for souls. Lord, I've lived selfishly. And I've not thought about the next generation like I should think about them. And not just think about them. I'm not acting on what you've already taught me and showed me. As they play and as they sing, if you lifted your hand and you want to make things right with God, I'm going to encourage you just to get out of your seat and come. And for the rest of you as they sing and play, find you a place to pray. There's plenty of room up this altar. This is not a bad place to come. It's a good place to come. In Jesus' name.